0: Hi there and welcome back to the
1: ESPN
0: Footy Podcast.
1: Yes, hello everybody. Matt Walsh here with another episode of the ESPN Footy Podcast brought to you by the iconic Subway Footlong Sub, Subway Eat Fresh. Out Jay Dunkley this week, but a big in for the podcast with R. Connolly back in the frame. Rocco, nice of you to get a call up again.
0: Uh, nice to be here, guys, particularly after that rare event on the football calendar and Essendon Victory. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, quite enjoyed that. Uh, actually, it was tough watching their win over Fremantle, but uh, good to get the points in a close one after a few narrow uh, losses earlier in the season.
1: You're, uh, you're not alone when it comes to tough watching at the moment. Uh, I was at the uh, Carlton-Melbourne game on the weekend, it got rained on, which was always good fun as a spectator. Uh, and because they couldn't open up the top decks of the MCG because they were trying to squeeze everyone into the parts that were open, If you wanted to go back, you'd have to find standing room. And then if you were caught in the standing room, they were
2: telling you to get out. So a
1: bit grim there. Uh, Jake Michaels, good to have you back on the podcast. Uh, Do you attend any games on the weekend?
2: Uh, I did. I was at the Richmond Giants game, which turned out to be a cracker in the end. I was one of about four people that was that bothered to turn up to Marvel Stadium. Hey, <laughs> did you take your footy to the G and, and have a kick outside after the game? Uh, well,
1: kick to kick was slated uh, for Sunday afternoon. However, they uh, they cancelled it because of the poor weather. So, oh, mate, you're not having much luck with the old kick to kick. No, the footy's here. It's ready to go. I just uh, I just haven't had the chance this year, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, Christian Jolly good to have you on the podcast again and we're looking forward to your segment this week uh involving bunnies we should have done this around Easter it would have made a lot more sense
3: yeah, yeah well we can, yeah a bit more uh topical at that stage but yeah <laughs> no, another good weekend of footy and um yeah just uh, again just I think it's one of yeah very even competition at the moment. I know we're going to talk about the top eight probably further down in the pod, but yeah, it's just it's good. As you spoke about two of those games, Richmond GWS and Freo, the two games are sort of mentioned already. Very close games and uh, entertaining to watch. Absolutely. Hey,
1: before we jump into yet another big episode, guys, something from the weekend that grabbed your attention we
2: might otherwise miss. Jake, can I start with you? Um, it's a bit of a a left field thing, but um, who who would you say my uh, my Favorite player of 2021 has been. Uh, you've got you've got favorite players it was, coming it was out. Jordan of... Jordan
3: Degowie two years ago, but you dropped <laughs> off him.
2: Tom Mitchell, it was James Warple at some point. Lockie Neal. You love love. I do Lockie love Lockie Williams. No, David Mundy. I think everyone's falling in love yeah. with David Mundy again this year <laughs> with what he's done. And uh as I said, I was at the, the at the at Marvel for the Richmond GWS game on Saturday night, and Frio's in town was in town to play uh on Sunday. And um I just went in and was the lift was closing as I was about to get in and out comes a hand to open the lift for me. Sure enough, the door's open and it's it's one great David Mundy standing there. Um, this sounds like the start of a rom-com. Oh,
0: he's, a, he's a good to know he's a gentleman too as well. well as
2: I that. said to him, I said, Oh, thank you very much. And I said, mate, you must be really pleased with your form uh, playing well. And he's like, yeah, it's nice to get a kick. I said, <laughs> nice to get a kick. You're you're probably leading all the brownlow predictors at the moment. You're, you're playing brilliant footy. Uh, no, he's a, he was a very nice guy, and um, yeah, it was good to first time I've ever seen him in person. Actually, I mean, free. I don't know if, don't cover too many freeo games, and um, yeah, he's a very nice guy. And um, he was in town, just scoping out scoping out Marvel. Um, unfortunately, he probably had his worst game of the year. Uh, the next day, he gave a few free kicks away, and didn't play too well, but. Um, yeah. Something I noticed, David Money, not just a great player, but a great bloke.
0: Don't don't take it personally, Jake, but it sounds just like the sort of line you say when five hundred people ask you if you're pleased with your form. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> he, he trots that out on the regular, I get the feeling. I oh, know that's that, why I thought it was funny because it's like it's nice to get a kick. Yeah. And it's
2: like it's just yeah. I just know, just self,
0: self-deprecation that helps with your popularity. That's why I've never been popular.
1: <laughs> and for those that can't see Jake, which is most people, because this is a podcast, he's just beaming from ear to ear talking about David Mundy. So his, his, uh, his crush is well and truly alive. Rowan, something from the weekend that grabbed your attention?
0: Well, again, um, just going to the footy, um, and you probably, some people might not be aware of this unless they're members and reserve seat holders, but... Uh, I am an Essendon member and I do have a reserve seat. And until this uh, last weekend, you weren't able to sit in your proper reserve seat. So um, I turned up on Sunday back in the usual seat and it was sort of like a a school reunion. You know, all those people that hadn't had the chance to sit together. uh, Well, basically since 2019. Um, What was it like
2: catching up with all the Essendon Nuffies?
0: Yeah, well, no, nah, well, hang on, very, <laughs> some very nice people uh, sit around, and uh, a lot of them hadn't seen each other for a year and a half, so it just, in all seriousness, it really sort of underlined the social aspect of going to the football, and maybe we'll talk about that a, a bit mm-hmm. later too, but I think... Is there was, any reason you know, was,
2: why there was it's taken this long into the season to, to go back?
0: Yeah, I, I don't understand. I, look, the previous Essendon home game uh, was against Carlton at the MCG and I ended up sitting in a seat, basically just one pocket around from where the normal seats are, mm-hmm. but other people were sitting in the normal seats. So it didn't logistically didn't seem to make sense, but I know a lot of people were really happy just to be back on familiar stamping ground, you know, so it was a good. it was a good moment.
1: Mm. Yeah, we I think we will touch on that a little bit later on as well. Uh, Christian, something from the weekend that you noticed.
3: Uh, oh, Can I have an honourable mention one as well? I'll, I'll give of an honourable mention for uh, honesty. Kasaya Pickett. Um, yes. Yeah, claiming one of his I own goal. Well, not claiming, just uh, telling one of the goal umpires that his own goal was touched off the boot by a Carlton player. And straight away, they still had to go to a review and I think it still took the usual 90 <laughs> seconds or whatever for him to uh, <laughs> confirm that the guy that actually kicked the ball was right. He saw it get touched off the boot and he... Made sure the umpires new, so I enjoyed seeing that. But that's um, a great nomination. Hang
0: on, just on that quickly. Do you think they took that on board in the process? No, of course, like not. They why have don't
3: to, you no. just call it touch. Then the, the guy, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I don't know why would he lie? If
0: he's <laughs>
2: saying that it's touched. Why would they then? Is there any possible yeah. way that they I'm could? I am not know sure what the
3: umpire's call was, but if the umpire's, was, if the umpires original call was touched too, then you just go with it and yeah, I, sure. yeah. Um, I yeah. think score reviews need to be used yet yeah, a lot less than they currently. Maybe
2: he put a bet on himself to kick it behind in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there you go.
3: We've just had a column about that. Uh,
1: Josh Dunkley, who features on the pod regularly, wrote a column about. Uh, betting and gambling uh in in afl in particular so if you haven't seen that uh check it out estn.com.au forward slash
3: afl uh christian you had an honorable mention oh, have yeah, you got a main event yeah uh, that ended up being a bit longer than an honorable mention but also um <laughs> i like the uh some of the old school ruck work was back and if you go look at oscar McInerney's ruck work against um gold coast who we know struggling in their ruck department at the moment with um chris burgess and um caleb grant sort of you know part-time ruckman at the moment but they haven't, they've been beaten by every ruckman and they've come across, but Oscar McInerney, some of his hitouts into space um, mm. to McCluggage and um, Zorko and that running through. Just, yeah, I really enjoyed watching some of the stoppage work from uh, the big O on the weekend.
1: Fair enough. Hey, speaking of honourable mentions, I've got a couple as well, and I'll run through these really quickly. Uh, at one stage during the Saturday night game between the Dogs and Port Adelaide, um, Adam Shalor was the last man on the last line of defence uh, and a snap came in. I can't remember who kicked it. Uh, from a port player, and it bounced in front of Trelaw, and he Gray. got he got Robbie Gray, and he got nutmegged. <laughs> and you should have seen Parole Trelaw's face uh, as it went through for a goal. It was pretty unlucky. Uh, the rugby lines that were still on the SCG that hadn't been covered oh, over.
2: What was going dreadful. on there? I can't awful. watch games at the SCG. The lines look crappy, and the camera angle. I was talking to you, Matt, during this game. The yeah. camera angle at the SCG.
0: It's quite low. It's
2: like watching. It's like yeah. watching rugby. I can't see anything. Do you know, um,
0: just, there were actually two nutmegs on the weekend, Matt. Yeah, there Is was right? in the West Coast. Adelaide. Jack Darling. Jack Darling made a, a hash of one that went through Brodie Smith's legs similarly.
1: So uh, we had a couple of double posters a couple of weeks ago. Now we're getting double nutmegs. Um, <laughs> yeah, but aside from that, the one that I really noticed, which was quite funny, was a, a period early in the Sydney Collingwood game uh, where Steel Sidebottom had the ball and then James Rowbottom jumped on top of him. And it was Rowbottom on Sidebottom's bottom. Uh, which was kind of bizarre. And I found that quite funny uh, well, I think it was, I think it was called for a ball up, but yeah, row bottom was sort of right on top of side bottoms backside and there's a, a bit of a play on words. So um, a little fun one from me. And the
0: commentators didn't mention it.
1: No, of course not. No, I had to make that. <laughs> how, old, that...
0: how old are you Mr. Walsh? <laughs> I
1: made that call on Twitter. So it was good fun. Uh, I'm 20, what am I? 28 now. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Let's jump into it. There's a uh, heaps to to chat about and uh, we sort of foreshadowed what we will chat about. Uh, but the players who have bunny clubs, because I know there are a few out there, and I know that I get the feeling as a Carlton supporter that there's a player from a, a certain team or a couple of teams who always seem to have a day out against the Blues, uh, someone who always sort of dominates and circles the game against your team on the calendar, Josh Bruce against the Kangaroos style. Uh, well, Christian, we've we've got him to do some digging, and he's crunched some numbers to see which sides are the bunnies of certain players. Anything stand out for you, Christian? Who, who really dominates against some sides in the AFL?
3: Yeah, so again, just a little bit of an explanation on what I've used. So 2016 to 2021 data um, and using just ranking points when you've come up against certain opposition. Uh, So yeah, sort of gone through all 18 teams and, you know, picked out the names that have played against them at least three or four times at least um, since 2016 and have some high ranking points. And across the board, across all teams, you know, some some names that appear in a lot of top fives, you would, you know, be able to guess. Patrick Dangerfield, you know, sort of dominates against... Most of the clubs on the list from Adelaide, Brisbane, he's not in Carlton's list. He's on Collingwood's, um, Essendon's, uh, Max Gorn, Brody Grundy. So, so the star players of the competition, sort of, you know, the, the higher ranked anyway, and the average points are higher ranked against each opposition. But there is, there's a few that sort of you just run across the, um, all 18 clubs and there's certain players and types of players that dominate against certain types of clubs. And then there's just guys that sort of come out of nowhere. So Josh Bruce just missed the cut from, um, because I went back to 2016 and he had um, a couple of quiet games in 2018 against North and Yeah, They must've
2: been very quiet if they knocked him out after the last two. Yeah, correct.
3: But the last three games he's played against them, he's kicked six, six and 10. So 22 goals in the past three. So that's, that's obviously worth the mention in this one, but yeah, just, Because I've used um, a longer time frame, he sort of drops out. But uh, again, using ranking points against a certain opposition, the number one player um, in that time against the opposition is Max Gorn, 150 ranking points against Richmond. So in six of the games he's played against the Mighty Tigers, he's been top three ranked in all six of those games um, and averaged 150 ranking points, which is number one of any player against any opposition since 2016. Uh, and again, it goes back to our theory of, we've spoken about Richmond a lot. They don't have a lot of concentration on the clearances. Mm. Um, so they don't look to dominate the the stoppage numbers and the clearance numbers, which is something Max Gorn and his Melbourne midfield do quite well. So he's getting a lot there, but we know Max Gorn, he gets a lot of his value from behind the behind the ball as well, getting a lot of intercept marks and things like that. So
2: I wonder if it's something Richmond fans have noticed because obviously mm. I think if if you're not a fan of either club, you probably don't notice it as much, but Tigers fans are probably they probably are aware that Gorn does dominate when he plays. Cause that seemed 150. That's a pretty substantial, that's an average, right?
1: I was going to say, if anyone uh, does have a, a theory about a player who will always plays well against your team, do hit us up at footy tips on Twitter and let us know.
0: Well, Richmond probably get dominated by a few Ruckman, don't they? I mean, they're not overly mm. strong. as a Yeah.
3: So, so Grundy's fifth on the list, but you, it's um, Lockie Neal's high for them at 139. And again, he's probably slightly higher against them than any other team. And again, big stoppage numbers for Lockyer Neal and always getting a lot around there. And then the other two on their list sort of surprised me a little bit. Jack McRae. Yeah. High stoppage play a little bit more outside. And Andrew Gaff, who's actually a hard runner. So again, a lot of the, a lot of the ball is played in general play in, in Richmond games, um, which is where Andrew Gaff really dominates. So um, Gaff doesn't appear on a lot of teams lists, but he's a, he's um, up there against Richmond. So they're a surprising one. Another team that sort of, you can clearly see what type of player dominates against them is Collingwood. Um, so they're, their number one player against him in um since 2016 is Tom Mitchell, 141 ranking points, and I think that includes a 50 disposal game yes, amongst those, and a couple of 40s. Uh, Patrick Dangerfield, second, as I said, he's on a lot of lists, but third and fourth, and even uh, sixth sort of stood out to me. So Jake Lloyd, um, is third, 118 ranking points per game, Rory Laird, fourth, 119 ranking points per game. Jack McRae, and then Tom Stewart, who's 109 ranking points per game. So again, Lloyd, Laird, and Tom Stewart are the running halfbacks. They get a lot of the the backwards ball comes into their hands and they sort of get the ball rolling from the defensive mm. 50. Um, I know Laird and Lloyd have, you know, spent times in the midfield, but clearly there's no, there's no other team like Collingwood that has this many sort of halfback flankers, if you like, dominating against them. So it's a clear, mm. probably, you know, style of Collingwood is they don't tag. Um, you know, and they, they don't look to sort of shut and looking at these numbers, there's no forwards that appear higher against Collingwood. So they're happy for the defenders and the Rory Laird and um, Jake Lloyd type roles to have those 30 40 disposal disposals, disposals as long as they're in the back half and they're not hurting you. So uh, it's probably a philosophy Collingwood have, have had under Nathan Buckley
2: the whole time is they don't tag. Um, well, he was famous when Tom Mitchell had that 50 disposal game. He yeah, said, well, he wasn't then, really hurting us, so it didn't feel like it mattered that we yeah, needed it was, to tag
3: him. Yeah, the first three 50 disposal games were against Collingwood. So had Gary Ablett picked up 50 against Collingwood uh, playing for Gold Coast. Um, and I think Scott Thompson did it for Adelaide yeah. against Gold Coast. And then uh, Tom Mitchell was the third one. So, um, yeah, sort of the, the ball magnets dominate against... Um, against Collingwood. And then a few, yeah, just again, going across the board, it's just a few names that stood out for um, certain teams. So Adelaide's um, against Adelaide, Luke Ryan, Fremantle's uh, number one intercept defender. He's actually fifth best against Adelaide uh, played four games against him, 123 ranking points per game. Uh, He's one double figure intercepts in three of the four games, um, nine intercepts in his other game against them in that time. He doesn't average double figures against any other club. So he's about 11 intercepts possessions um, against Adelaide. So again, he must just Weird. must just enjoy playing against their their forward line, must just get a lot of um, free time sort of thing. He must be able to free himself up. And it, it would all come down to Adelaide's makeup of their forward line. I do know that he might get the Lockie Murphy uh, mm. Role yeah. or Ned McHenry Who sort of start forward pocket But go push up in the midfield As the extra in the stoppage and um, That'll allow Luke Ryan to sit back And sort of cut it off behind well, the I ball. wonder if we you should...
2: ask Luke Ryan or, or any of these guys but uh, Say uh, Luke Ryan Who's the team that you reckon You play best against you, I wonder if he would know Oh it's Adelaide I generally play pretty well Or yeah. I have no as idea
3: said, As I said Dangerfield You know he's got 140s and 130s Against teams 120s Luke Ryan 123 And I think his next best Is about 96
2: So
0: uh, it's a he, massive noticeable He knows they he would know. They, wouldn't he? What, what all of them would do is they'd know, but they'd pretend not to know. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and it makes it seem like they're a, a batsman counting their runs. You know. Yeah. Well, we can but ask Dunkley um, when he's on, like on the on the pod next.
1: Gold, isn't it? We can ask. We can ask Josh Dunkley. I think he actually sort of said that he, he knows that he when he's had his best games. Um, so maybe we can ask him about if he knows that, or if he has a, a team that he he prefers to play. Well, or his team them. was
2: the Tigers. I think we we were talking about this. Yeah.
3: So that was yeah that was using rating points, but he was yeah eighteen rating points against the Tigers, which was his best team. I think he came in uh, just outside the top ten on rankings going back to two thousand sixteen um But yeah, he's he yeah using a different measure. His one was the Tigers, which I think he sort of I think he did give a little nod when I mentioned that. So he must, <laughs> have, he must just have a feeling of yeah they don't they don't quite match up well against me. But it's not like Bulldogs have got the wood on Richmond. So even if you're having your best game and your team's losing, you might not necessarily walk away thinking, "Geez, that was a good game." So mm, I think you're right, though. Ryan. Sorry, I you to mention
2: is there a right, minimum amount of games for this?
3: As I said, I used, I've used mainly four or five for the top fives, but I mean, the next name I was going to give you against Port is just one to watch out for, Isaac Heaney. He's only had the three games against Port in that time, 124 ranking points, which is third most against him. But in those three games, he's racked up 42 contested possessions and 28 score involvements um, across those three games. And again, Sydney aren't dominating Port, so he's doing this um, in a couple of losses mixed in there. Um, So again, early days for Isaac Keeney, but he seems to really sort of relish playing Is that,
0: uh, just quickly, could that be a consequence of Port have a lot of rebound defenders who aren't necessarily that tight defensively?
3: Yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly that. um, Their one-on-one general defender numbers aren't great, and he's one of the best one-on-one mid-size forwards, so... I uh, bet again, even the, the contested possessions shows that they probably do chuck him into the midfield against Port as well, um, more more so than they do against other teams. Um, and he's win, winning bigger ball, uh, bigger number of disposals. Um, another team that sort of stood out for a clear um, role against him was St Kilda. So again, this is going back to 2016. Uh, their Ruck division now with Paddy Ryder and Roland Marshalls, you know, when it's up and going and fits one of the best in the comp, but they've been dominated by Ruckman um, going back to 16. So i have included a cheeky one here. Matthew Flynn played one game against them this year and had 138 ranking points against them. Uh, But then you've got Natanui, 123. Dangerfield, as I said, again, 123. Goldstein, 121. Max Gordon, 120. And Stefan Martin, 116, all against St Kilda since 2016. So, again, I'm sure St Kilda fans will probably know that opposition Ruckman, when they come out against St Kilda, and this is probably... Just pre Patty Ryder arriving at the club, mm. um, yeah, Ruckman were really getting a hold of the Saints um, in that time.
0: You've mentioned. Well, quite I was, thinking, a few I was right? trying to remember the was it, the Kane Ackland era of St Kilda, but that's a bit, a bit that. after that. Yeah, <laughs> Kilda, great. <laughs> hey, hey, uh,
2: Christian, you have mentioned quite a few uh, names here, but there's one that I'm waiting for you to say, Dustin Martin. Who does he play well against? Yeah, well, um, hey everyone.
3: <laughs> think, well, again, Matt and uh, Jake. I think you probably know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> round one he seems to be always on song. Round one, but he is. It's it's Carlton's probably his biggest one. So he's 128 uh, ranking points in his last seven games against Carlton. Top three ranked in six of the seven. So that's probably he's he's wow. number one. But again, he's third and fourth on the list in a few other teams. Um, he, to be honest, he doesn't appear as consistently as Dangerfield, but yeah, sort of up there against a couple other teams, um, Essendon and probably Carlton are his two biggest ones. Um, and, and yeah, grand, just a couple of others. <laughs> <laughs> and Grand Finals. <laughs> a couple of other sort of random names for you know for, for clubs that were quite different. Mitch Wallace is actually fourth against Melbourne. So 118 ranking points in his last, uh, what was it, his four games against Melbourne. He's uh, kicked seven in his past two games against him and had 20-odd touches in his other two playing as a midfielder. So That was a surprise to see him so high. And probably another one just slightly is Matt Crouch, um, who again comes in about sixth or seventh on some of this list. But yeah, West Coast has been his um, probably favourite team to play against 130 ranking points against West Coast. And even West Coast with their names, it's Matt Crouch, Tom Mitchell, Lockie Neal, and Mitch Duncan, who's a bit of a surprise one. But this year's game might have helped him slightly uh, playing down there. But yeah, Matt Crouch is sort of... um, yeah, it was always been a good... Similar, though, for West Coast, mm-hmm. the similar type name to Collingwood. A lot of, you know, yeah, high ball wins. Yeah, more inside, though, yeah, with Crouch and Mitchell rather than the, the halfback flankers. Um, and probably another final one early days that sort of just stood out to me is um, Alex Witherden. He's actually really enjoyed playing against Essendon. So he's had um, about 117 ranking points per game, but sort of his numbers against him um, so far in his career, I think, yeah, he would have started after 16. So he's had 29 touches, 29 touches, 28 and 25, and had at least 510 meters gained.
0: Um, you know, one one him. of them so one of them really stands out too. It was 2017 when Brisbane were terrible. And uh, they beat Essendon at Marvel Stadium and witherden was particularly good. I remember yeah, everyone he, furiously looking up the records, going, Who's number 29 <laughs> for
3: so again, he sort of yeah hadn't appeared on anyone else's list, but Essendon. But yeah, it is. It's um it was an interesting look. And yeah, sort of as I said, there's a few, there's there's not a lot of forwards on the list. So there's not I don't think there's any besides the Josh Bruce in recent times. Um, from a quick look at it, it doesn't look like there's any team that has to worry about a certain key forward that just comes mm-hmm. along and feasts upon him. Um, um Rowan, you were
1: saying what? earlier, you were saying earlier in that pre-pod meeting that um uh, buddy on Essendon's uh, a pretty good one, but that probably stretches back a bit further than 2016. He's always had a day out against uh, the Bombers.
0: It's, it's more a Hawthorne thing, and I've got to admit, I, I was thinking of stages last Sunday. Just buddy, Matt Tabitha goes all right against the Bombers, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where he ranked Christian. Uh, yeah, down. I had
3: a quick look because, yeah, you mentioned his name. He's, kicked a couple, he's had a couple of four-goal bags against him, but, yeah, the other two or three games he had in that time.
0: Four-goal um, bags against Essendon aren't exactly uncommon territory in recent <laughs> times. The one that stood
3: out, when I was looking at this, is I didn't go back and look at the numbers, but the probably the famous one you probably remember is Roll Roll. Gary Ablett against Richmond for... Oh, yeah. Two 14s? Yeah, two 14s and a couple of 10s or something over... a four or five year period yeah, so i don't right. think there's there's no one like that in in uh in the modern day which is probably good for all opposition supporters <laughs>
2: all right let's bring it back to this century boys <laughs>
1: uh brendan favola always all, loved fun. a big game brendan favola against the
3: pies i reckon he kicks eight or
1: seven about six times so he, he always liked playing well, was- we had that 12 didn't he in the the, the yeah, yeah. um oh in the uh, millennium game millennium game millennium game yeah
0: didn't um I'm not sure which one either Fev or Jared Roughhead went well against either Hawthorne or Carlton. It was certainly yeah, one. Game, Roughhead
2: was like, always pretty, pretty good against the Blues.
0: You reckon, reckon there was a game buddy.
2: where Fev kicked seven and he had a shot to win it and he yep. had a post. And I reckon yep. Roughhead kicked eight that day.
0: Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. I covered yeah. that game. I wonder how long you guys were. 2009, I think.
1: Yeah. No, it was a good oh, game. that very- was. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I was impressionable on that. That one. I don't think I've ever been as mad at a football game than that game. Uh, anyway, before we get on our soapboxes about uh, <laughs> what, what what teams and what games made us the most upset, we should move on. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love, with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Uh, been talked about a bit this week. Uh, 18,000 people turned up at Marvel Stadium to watch the Tigers. Jake, you were one of those. Uh, and there were 9,000 people in Tasmania to watch North Melbourne and Hawthorne. There were... 32,000 people at Adelaide Oval when Port Adelaide in prime time against a, a top 14 would probably normally draw 40. Uh, and overall, crowds are pretty pretty much down significantly across the board. And it seems to be an issue that's now hit the media, which is always good because we'll overanalyze it to every inch. But um, Rowan, is this a fixable thing, the fact that crowds are down so much? I mean, at Marvel, they're down 25% on 2019 figures alone. I saw that on On The Couch last night. But is this fixable or is it just a reality of, of footy in a COVID-19 world?
0: I think there's a few different issues here. It's very hard to talk about briefly, but, but I'll try. You know, look, I think ticketing this year has been a factor. I think people have been, you know, sort of stuffed around in terms of their usual ticketing arrangements. Um, I think that I, I do think that there's a, the continued sort of focus on TV is coming at more at the expense of live crowds, and to the extent I was watching on the couch last night, and in one breath they're talking about how you can make the game schedule more TV friendly, and then literally twenty seconds later they're saying why aren't more people going? Well, if you make it easier and easier to sit there at home and watch, fewer people might attend. I've I've found that a bit myself in recent years, that it's there are games you might have gone to that it becomes too easy just to sit there and watch it in the comfort of your own home without the logistical dramas. I think there's a bit of disillusionment with the people both running the game and commenting on the game, uh, i.e. the boys club, the sort of cocoon that some of these people live in where they, Eddie Maguire, for instance, and I was a little bit scathing on another podcast about this, but Eddie Maguire coming out and saying Saturday afternoon's dead because people go to watch private school sport and play golf. Well, hello, Ed. You know, like we're living in the 21st century, mate. There's a slightly different demographic now. We're not all in your little sort of, you know, bubble of white middle-aged privilege. That's my political rant for the day. Um, And I I think the other one is that it's just become too easy not to go. I think last year the, the COVID layoff, I think in retrospect, we might look at that as a really significant period because I think a lot of people discovered that as much as they love footy, they could live without it. And they learned to do other things on their weekends. And they thought, gee, perhaps I do invest a bit too much of my time worrying about the football. And, you know, look, I'll put my hand up here. I'm a football fanatic. And that three-month period, I thought, geez, how how are we going to get through this? And I did. And I actually enjoyed it, and I enjoyed a respite from all the hype and all the, that other stuff that I'm talking about. So I know that's a bit all airy-fairy and philosophical, but I think all those things are a bit of a factor in people at large not being quite as passionate and enamoured by the game as they were, and I think that has, uh, has affected the crowds.
1: Jake, you are quite open about the fact that you prefer to watch games on TV than going to the ground.
2: Yeah, I always have been, Um, and not just football. There's pretty much most sport I enjoy. Don't get me wrong, I love the atmosphere of sport, and I love being able to witness significant moments at a ground or whatever sport it might be. But you know, there's something about watching it at at home that I don't. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything by watching it on at TV on the TV at home. You know, I can watch what I want to watch. I can go back and watch something that I that I might have missed. I can pause it. You know, if I want to. I can do what I want to do when I want to, want to do it. And I, and I like, I watch all the games. So when a game finishes, bang, straight onto the next one. And I think with football, it's, there's so much, so many other things now that people do and want to do with their lives to go into a game, whether it's a night game or a day game, it's a massive chunk of your weekend that is dedicated to getting into the, not everyone lives in Richmond, you know, getting into the city, Going to the game, spending three hours at the game because the games are still very long. Getting back home, there, there's a, there's it, you probably got six hours of your day just gone. Getting in there, you the, the get there half an hour before, stay for by fifteen minutes after, go home. There's six hours of your Saturday gone. I think it's a long, it's a lot of investment time wise for people to make. And I think, as Rowan said, I think people learn. Perhaps we don't need this as much as we thought we would. And it's not to say people aren't going to go anymore, but instead of going to six games a year, people might go to three and all of a sudden that's just reducing the crowd significantly. I don't know how to fix it. You know, I I don't think there necessarily is a reason to fix it because the other thing is there's not really a city we, we have so much. I mean, I know Sydney with same with the NRL, but it's like, is there a city in the world that gets so many that has so many professional sporting games each week in the city for one code? No. Well no that's we're that's, expecting every point. game if it doesn't have forty, fifty thousand every game it's like well that's not good enough. I do you you've got your finger up. I know you want to say something so I'm going to I'm going to stop because I could keep going for a long time. <laughs> we could we could this is a good this is a
1: good discussion point because I'm going to play the devil's advocate and say that in Australia, we're very, very lucky. In Melbourne in particular, I know that we can, we can be a bit Melbourne-centric on this podcast sometimes, but we do live here, and this is where we cover the game from. But in Australia, we're very lucky. Ticket prices are not expensive compared to places around the rest of the world in, in Premier League, NFL, NBA, and, you know, unless your, your team's Cleveland and they're $5 tickets when, when LeBron's not there anymore. But it is cheap to get to the football. It is easy to get to the football in, in most cases – you know, Adelaide, you walk across the across the bridge from, from the city centre. Perth, there's a train station yeah, but there. But not you everyone lives in the city, city centre. No, I know. But I'm, I'm saying this is the case for, for sport anywhere. It's not just Australia. It's pretty easy to get to these places, in, in like, relatively. It is pretty easy to get to these places. Food is not that expensive. A hot dog at the MCG is $4.50. Like, that's that's $3 something US, which is unheard of anywhere else in the world. Beer, it's on par with pubs around, around the city. Like, we have an indoor stadium in Melbourne. What I'm saying is, I think crowds. We're used to having it really good, uh, and and I, I, look, COVID, sure, you know, you can sit on your couch and do it. But geez, I tell you what, if it was just to get up and leave forever one day, I think we'd bloody miss it.
0: The one, so, well, why? If you're saying that, why are we I'm transitioning away? Well, I, I think yeah. I think
1: we're taking it all for granted, and we're saying, oh well, I can just sit on the couch. But really, you know, the MCG is a 40 minute train ride away for two and a half or three hours out of the day, and then you come home. But if it was to get up and go and never come back, or if you lived in, you know, Oklahoma or something,
0: you never seen professional sports. So I think we've got it real good think, in Australia. I think that's a really good point. And again, I'm going to put on my old man hat here. But, you know, I, I grew up as a kid getting a tram and two trains across town to watch my side play. I went and mm. watched them everywhere, you know, mm. Collingwood. In hard Footscray. to get to
1: locations.
0: Yeah, and, but it was, it was sort of part of the adventure. That's how invested you were in it. There wasn't a lot else to do. I really exactly. doubt that, you know, nearly as many young kids today would be prepared to make that sort of investment just to go to see their team play. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. and I think, But I think that is a lifestyle and generational thing. So many more options, mm. so much easier to do things. It's part of the reason kids grow up now, not just barracking for a footy team, but they barrack for a, a European soccer team, an American football team. And their experience of those teams is no different to how they experience their AFL team. It's on a TV in front of them. So, in effect, following Chelsea is no different to following Carlton.
1: Fair enough. Uh, Christian, you've got a couple of young kids. How do? You, how would you one incentivize wins and one, doesn't
0: <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, bad, bad uh, analogy. <laughs>
1: Christian, you've got kids. How would you incentivize getting crowds back to the footy?
3: Yeah, well, let's forget about the kids for a a moment. But yeah, I was thinking in a left field way to do it. So you sort of spoke about why why you want to go to the football compared to watching it on TV. You're going to see the same thing. I think it's the atmosphere. It's it's being there, being able to cheer. Mm. Nothing bigger than finals. If you had a choice to go to a final or watch it on TV, surely you're going to choose to go to the final because – especially if it's a knockout final, you want to be there, the atmosphere. So if you want to go back to how do we incentivize more people to go during the year, is it some sort of balloting system that if you're a club member and you've been to six games for the year, you go higher on the finals ballot ticket. So, or the grand final, you know, I don't know how many people miss out on tickets Ooh. each year for finals and things like that, but it's like, well, I've been to six games, therefore I go into the tier one ballot and I've got an 80% chance of getting Ooh, a I ticket like this. this week and I've been to only two. What games. bad idea. This is, is, is that great. going to
2: encourage the people? Because I think that's... I don't people know if it is, but to me, I
3: think that's when people want to go. It's when it's yeah. it's round one to nine at the moment. We know the season's a marathon. It's not <laughs> a sprint. We watch it play out. We can tune into KO, Foxtel, AFL League Pass. We can catch up with anything we want. But to not be at a final for a for a true sports fan, I feel like to not be at a big game and miss out on that experience is is why we want to go to the football. Again, we're just it's probably fatigue. Richmond are playing GWS at Marvel. They've, they've, if you're a Richmond supporter, you've been to three or four games this year at the G. You've enjoyed it. This time, it's the one time I might just take a week off and go. Unfortunately, it sounds like twenty thousand all, you know, twenty thousand supporters all at once decided it was their weekend off. But again, I, I think it's the to me incentivizing is to to get them to come to finals and to get them come to the big atmosphere games. And whether that's Anzac Day as well, you need to have attend, you know attended five games the previous year to get a ticket to the Anzac Day game. I don't know. Mm. Um, but that could be something. I mean, that is though.
0: such a great idea. It is a good I, idea. Um, seriously, it won't. They won't do it because. And one of the key things here too, and I think this is a real concern. Even though crowds are down, membership numbers aren't. Mm. So that how many people now are buying memberships that actually don't have much intention of going at all? That mm. is counterproductive for the long term health of the game. I reckon. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, so they're... make make put a put an incentive to go. So if you want to get to the finals and just enjoy the pointy end of it, you actually have to pay your dues beforehand. I reckon that is a fantastic idea, Christian. Well done. You should we, be running the AFL.
1: We could refine it a bit further. Um, obviously, you know, members from interstate or from further afield than say Melbourne for for a team like Richmond uh, are obviously going to struggle a bit, but it, it is a really good idea and we can probably refine that over another episode perhaps, but we should move on. We've, we've chatted about crowds for long enough, but uh, we should revisit something from earlier in the year we talked about contenders and pretenders uh, a couple of weeks in just to sort of see, you know, how things would sort of evolve over the next six, seven weeks. So we thought, you know, with round 11 coming up, we might revisit that. And the eight seems pretty set. Um, I think we, we had a, a go last week on the round table guys. Um, if, if the eight was sort of set and the, the team's in it. And I think we came away with the, the conclusion that it pretty much is Melbourne Bulldogs, Geelong, Brisbane, Port Adelaide, Sydney, West coast and Richmond uh, are all in there at the moment with, Giants, Frio, St Kilda, Essendon, and Carlton, not far behind. Um, But of those top eight teams, uh, who is the most likely, and and who do we think are the legitimate contenders, Jake?
2: Well, I would only be prepared to write off one of the. Let's let's just say that that is the eight, uh, Mm -hmm. and and no one else is coming in because I think we we, as you said, we did agree that it's. I think St Kilda's probably the only one, but we feel like they've got quite a few injuries, playing inconsistent, and have probably lost too many games to to make up the difference. I think Sydney's the only one I just would would be putting a line through in terms of can they win the flag? I don't think they can, Sydney. I have just I just don't think that they have what it takes to to be able to do it. Every other team in there, I am not prepared to write off. Um, obviously, Rowan, you wrote about Richmond uh, last week for us about how you know they could finish eighth and have you know all sorts of issues, but you still would, would back them to, to be able to do it. I don't know if I'd go that far from, from eighth, but I certainly wouldn't be writing them off if they were to finish outside the top four. Um, they're, they're the most likely to do it outside the top four, but everybody else, West coast, you guys were sort of questioning West coast before I I'm still reasonably hot on West coast. I know they had that absolute shocker down in Geelong, but we do know that they do travel quite poorly. Um, and there's so many players to come back that were coming back into that team. And you could probably make the case that seven of their best 10 players weren't playing that day. So I think there's a lot of talent to come back for West Coast in the midfield and in the defense. Um, and then you look at teams like Brisbane, all of a sudden playing well. Geelong, all of a sudden playing well. You know, Melbourne and the Bulldogs have been the two teams of so far this year. Port Port might be the one that we look at and say, you know, is Port genuine? Because mm. Port's had those three losses now to, to, you know, so so all of a sudden... Of the seven teams left, Port's probably my next one that I'm starting to wonder about. Can Port go all the way? But I still am not prepared to ride off Port because I know Port at their best is good enough to do it. They just haven't done it this year.
0: Well, I'm I'm prepared to put a line through seven because I think Richmond will win the flag. <laughs> no, in all, in all seriousness, I do think Richmond will win the flag. But um, I, I'll be I, I sort of agree with you, Jake. But I'll I'll be a little bit braver. Um, I don't think Sydney can win it. I, I think I'm a, I'm a believer in West Coast, but, and it's a big but, I think they need to finish top two rather than top four because top four, um, the odds are to win a flag that have to play two away finals, win the first, home preliminary, travel again for the grand final. I'm not sure they can do that. I reckon they need top two, uh, qualifying final at home, preliminary final at home, then travel. So there's a can asterisk. they get top two? Can they? Yeah, I think top they three? can, I think they can, but they need other sides to stumble. So mm-hmm. the odds are against it. So you can just about put a line through them. And the other two, and you touched on it, Jake, I'm I rate them and they were both preliminary finalists, but I still have a thing in the back of my head about Brisbane and Port's ability to win a big final on the MCG rather mm-hmm. than at home. The so tale- the... that go on. Yeah, well, I mean, talent-wise, no question. But Porter's now slipped up against three pretty good sides. Yeah. So you, you're wondering about Brisbane, you know, a bit unfair really because they, they've been really good. But I don't think they are nearly as good a side away from home as at home, I which leaves
2: – ri- thing- I
0: mean, basically what I'm saying is I'm, I guess I'm reducing it to four. Richmond, Geelong, Bulldogs and Melbourne.
1: The thing that's impressed me about the Lions is they had a really poor start to the season, but also a really uh, well COVID affected start, which not many other teams did uh, have had. I um, mean, Freo aside, but they're probably well and truly in the band below. But they've come back and now won five five straight.
3: Um and
2: played really Lockie well. And this was, really
1: oh, bad bad. I was surprised yeah. to see him
3: up to fourth this week. I knew they were going well, but so like, well, they've got to fourth now. They're, they're not yeah. just coming. They're, yeah, they're they've overcome
1: adversity, and I know that finals is different, but to me, that's a big tick to do that with that group after well, heartbreak of last year when they really should have gone on with what was a really good season based up at home. Uh, but the, the fact that they've been able to bounce back from a poor start that's been, you know, thrown curveballs at them, it's a big tick for me. And that's something that sort of tells me that maybe they are mature enough now as a group if they could make it to a prelim final stage that they could do it.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I, I am sort of, no, it's a really good point. I think they are more resilient. Perhaps I'm looking back a bit too much, but, you know, the fact is in, in the last two years, they've, what, they've lost three finals out of four, haven't they? Yeah. And, and all at home. So a final away, it's a it's a tougher ask again. I think they're then a better again, team. You know, ahead, right? then, then again, someone like Melbourne, you know, yeah. as good as they're looking, very raw on the on the big stage, you know. So there's ifs and buts mm. about virtually everyone, except Richmond, who will go on and win the flag.
3: Uh,
1: so true. I think going
0: back to
3: going back to Jake's point of writing off Sydney, I think I'm, I'm probably with you there, but I can make a case for Sydney and we saw it in 2016. They are the one team in this final series that are the Bulldogs of 2016. They play a very sort of electric take you on game style of footy. They might only finish sixth or seventh. They might only be the seventh best team this year, but that's the type of footy that can get you on a final where you're just too obsessed with your structure and we've got to do it this way. Sydney are just they're sort of the chaos team. I can I can see them maybe not get into the grand final but if they're in the finals you, you could almost back them to win one or two of those early finals just because they play that sort of it's not a new brand of footy but they're the ones that they're, they're the team that's got nothing to lose if they got in there they've they've got the talent um and they're probably two or three years away from it you know coming all together but yeah
2: i, I just think that every year we get sucked into this oh a team cause the bulldogs did it someone else can do it i i, I think we under undersell how hard it is to yeah, win yeah but the as i said you've
3: yeah. got that Turnover side of it. So again, the numbers side of it says that Sydney have nutted out the, yeah. the good part of the game to do. They, they can beat you on turnovers, and that mm-hmm. can win you a final. So that's a-
0: it'd be a massive, massive upset, wouldn't it? I mean, no one tipped Sydney to make the top eight, did they? Oh, hang on, I think someone did actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, <laughs> Sorry, I had to do
1: that. No, no, fair <laughs> enough. Hey, toot your own horn if you can. Um, we can go back and revisit those pre-season predictions in time, uh,
2: especially if you get them correct, Ryan, feel free to remind us. But just outside, what about St Kilda? Is St Kilda, are we putting a line through them? Too inconsistent, aren't they? Not Um, not for the flag, in terms of making finals. Can they make finals? Yeah, they can make finals, yeah. Carlton can make finals. The Giants can make finals. No, they won't. I think North could still technically make finals, but no. Uh, Will they make finals? (laughs) No, they won't. No. Yeah, Okay. There are too many. I think better the, teams. Giants,
0: the, the Giants, the clearly the best mm. chance outside the eight. But St Kilda's run home is phenomenally tough. Mm. They, they the play. Giants have twice. to do, Giants
3: have to get Shane Mumford back in their team. Four <laughs> zip with him and five zip without him. Put him in the team and you're playing finals, aren't you?
0: Wait,
2: well, he... That loss to that loss to Richmond that would be very interesting had that result gone the other way around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but well, they um, would have been in the eight and Richmond out, but Richmond had still win the flow.
2: You could have Richmond ninth, that it'd be like the Carlton situation all over again.
0: <laughs> I think it would be. I think Richmond can actually win the flag even if they don't make fun. <laughs>
2: all right, we're
1: getting off track. Uh, let's move on. We've got justified hype or hyperbole. Uh, the segment where I'll say a statement, and you guys got to tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole um jake the afl should introduce an nrl style magic round and if you can give us a bit of context about what magic round is first for listeners uh yeah well
2: for those that don't know what the magic round is the nrl have been doing it for a couple of years now i think and it's basically they have all their they play all their eight games um at one venue and they've been doing it at suncorp stadium in brisbane uh i like the idea i think it's fantastic i'd love for the afl to do it obviously we have an extra game. We have nine games around instead of eight. And we also have a longer game, you know, and the average AFL game runs three hours as opposed to a two hour NRL game. So it's how do you, how do you squeeze in 27 hours of football in a weekend? I think the only way you could realistically do it is um, a a Thursday night back to back on a Friday and then three on Saturday, three on Sunday. But I tell you what, by that, by that last Sunday game, the ground's going to be looking a little bit worse for wear. And I tell you one, one other thing, if they were to do this, I wouldn't want to see it in Melbourne. The obvious choice. I I would like to see this in Adelaide or in Brisbane. Somewhere that somewhere different where we can showcase more mm. games to to a different audience. Melbourne gets enough games. And look, you, know, you said it before. We we're very lucky in Melbourne. We get enough games. Give it, take it somewhere else. Take it to Adelaide and let the let the Saturday night game be the pro, be the showdown, be the, the the showpiece game of the round, and have all the other games in in. Around it, I, I like it. I think it's a great idea. I'd love to see it.
1: Fair enough, uh, Rowan. You get to go to Marvel Stadium a bit being a, a Bombers fan, but Marvel Stadium is a better place to watch footy than the MCG.
0: Uh, I'm going to say justified, but with a big reservation, right? And go on. that is ap- atmosphere. The atmosphere at the G with a huge crowd. I mean that that is that is the essence of sport, and nothing tops it. Love the MCG. However, this time of year, you know, it gets cold, it gets wet. Uh, Marvel has obvious benefits that the MCG doesn't. Um, The other thing about it is I think the viewing from Marvel pretty much anywhere in the ground is really good. You do feel pretty close to the action. So I think it gets a bit of a bad rap, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's not great on atmosphere. But the the crowd noise, you know... Smallish crowded Marvel can still sound really loud. Um, so just not 18,000, yeah, probably not. No, but even 18,000 18, know, sound I mean, pretty good. 18,000 with the G, it looks like the, people are there, yeah. Well, through the TV, it sounded reasonably loud, which was a wonder in itself because usually they turn the crowd down so you can hear more of the commentary when, in actual fact, people want the complete reverse of that. I'm getting sidetracked here. <laughs> I, look, I can't go against the MCG, but a big shout out to Marvel. I think it's a, a better uh, spectator experience than people give it credit for. Mm.
1: Talking about sort of having it good in Victoria, the excuse that Dimmer gave for Richmond fans not turning up and going two stations further on any train line. Yes. Uh, yes. Come, come on. Come on, guys
3: honestly yeah. uh seriously give me a spell uh um, yeah, it's only too further from the east it's too closer from the west isn't it
1: exactly so, well it depends where you're living i mean most of the train lines head out sort of north and east so apologies uh, a bit east melbourne centric um christian i might throw this one at you because considering you probably know the the number of in terms of these stats but umpires need to pay more holding the ball free kicks uh
3: justified hype and i probably was on this before this weekend and it's probably not the ones that we're thinking of from this weekend either to me the one that gets me is the third man in two players are jobbing for ball it's not coming out and a teammate comes in and just hugs both of them like well that's holding the ball that is if if we want players to be attempting to get the ball out why are we sort of allowed to just tackle a pack you know lie on top of a pack sort of like so to me i feel like there needs to be another rule but um Yeah, again, justified height, but it really gets me when people start to talk about how many tackles were laid and how many free kicks for holding the ball. They do not correlate what's, you know, you can tackle blokes that are kicking the ball the whole time. You're not Mm -hmm. going to get holding the balls every time. So to use those two stats um, over the weekend, I thought was a little bit annoying. But yeah, there's definitely times where I think, yeah, there's not enough effort made to keep the ball moving, which is what we want.
1: And we want fewer stoppages and we want the game to keep moving. So it makes sense
2: to me as well. Uh, Zach Merritt is underappreciated. Jake. Uh, I don't know if Heath Shaw is going down the the Kane Corns path, but I nearly fell off my chair when I heard him say that, <laughs> that um, he doesn't think he's that good. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't disagree more. I think uh, Zach Merritt is one of the most underrated players going around. I think he's very, very important for Essen. I think he's a terrific midfielder, and I think he's a really good ball user, and he's a bloody hard runner and he gets every single week you, you, you look at him every five minutes and he's knocked on the ground he gets a lot of attention from the opposition I and you know he's still a pretty young player by by you know league sort of standards I think he is a he's a terrific player and I would be you know as a Carlton supporter or any a supporter of any team he's someone I definitely want in my side I think he's Criminally underrated Zach Merritt, and, and he's much better than a player that just runs around picking up cheap touches. Rowan, in terms of the importance of getting his signature for life,
1: where where does he rate?
0: Oh, I think, yeah, probably number one. I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm about to shoot Bambi here. I I don't think he's underappreciated. I look, I'm a I'm a, a hard taskmaster of players of my own team, the team I follow. But (laughs) I I do feel like, you know, 30 plus touches for Zach isn't necessarily as damaging as a lot of other midfielders with 30 plus. I I feel like it's not so much his skills by foot. It's sometimes his decision-making can be a little bit off, but I think it's improving. Uh, No questioning his courage or his His His
2: running and his effort is just, He's one of the hardest runners. I'd love to see yeah. his GPS numbers. He works his backside off getting from one. He's in one goal square and then two seconds later he's in the other one.
0: You know, like I'm, I'm trying to think of an equivalent and someone that, I mean, the name Jack McRae popped into my head because he cops a little bit of criticism at times too. But to be perfectly frank, you know, if you said to me, would you take Zach Merritt or McRae? I'd probably take McRae. But But then again,
2: I I think, and I'm big on this. Sorry, is that any player who gets and Christian, we've spoken to this before, but any player who racks up a lot of the ball, Merritt, McRae, Trelaw, any of these guys, you just people without doubt come. You know, Tom Mitchell. It's like, how damaging are they? Oh, he had 30, had 40, but he wasn't damaging. It's like, not every touch is going to be a goal or a goal assist. Like it's just. And and look, the other
0: obvious thing here is Merritt's been doing it in a relatively. Mediocre side McRae's done it in a good side, so you know, if he was surrounded by a creme de la creme at midfield, mm, we'd probably see him more be more damaging,
2: yeah. Um, Christian, and let's be it. honest, McRae doesn't get tagged week in, week out, and we does not have someone standing next to him all game long. Um, Christian, you had a couple of stats on Merritt as well, yeah. Well, I didn't want to go against
3: Jake, but oh, I don't say think, them. Let's move I on. Probably <laughs> think he's, he, I'm a little bit I'm not in his Shaw's camp, but I think he is, he is what he is, he's so. Second this year for unforced giveaway turnovers. So that's unpressured turnovers. Um, And we spoke about him last week or two weeks ago when we spoke about disposal efficiency when under pressure it goes down. But for me, he's yeah he wins 33% of his ball contested, uh, which is very, very low. So, you know, only one in three of his disposals actually come from a contest and he's an average ball user. So to be that outside and only be average with your actual ball use, um, yeah, again, you'd want to see that number for his ball use be above average or elite. But again, he's a nice player. He's elite for disposals, elite for score assists, so he can an elite for uncontested possessions. But then, yeah, so this going over the last two years below average for goals um, and only average for his ball use. So not quite in the elite bracket for me. But yeah, one of the one of the top midfielders at Essendon for sure. For mine, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need we need former panelist Neil Seawang, a proud Tasmanian, on for this last
1: one. But uh, I'll throw this open to whoever wants to answer it, but Tasmanians have clearly now voted for their own team and have voted with their feet after 9,000 people turned up to watch the two tenant clubs, Hawthorne and North Melbourne uh, in Launceston.
0: There's a few caveats on that, isn't it? There are. Argument, (laughs) they're the the poorest two teams in the comp. Don't let facts get in the way of a good narrative know. Oh, I do think there's something in that. There's no doubt there's, there's a real momentum building about Tasmania having a team, as it should be. I mean, philosophically, the fact that we're still not there and yet we call it an AFL, it's a heritage football territory, it absolutely should have been there. If you're building an AFL philosophically, you'd already have Tassie and Northern Territory in and Western Sydney and Gold Coast would be biding their time, but it doesn't operate like that. But I think as the campaign builds... I think maybe more Tasmanians who previously were prepared to go, oh let's go and have a look at Hawthorne or North are now going, Well stuff it. You know, like let's let's get our own side in there and we'll get invested in it then. So but let's get I, serious. I North
2: sorry. and North and Hawthorne, they're not yes, they play games there, but they're not Tasmania. It's not Tas a Tasmanian nah. team. It nah. never will be. No. Nah. They could play eight games a year there and it's still not Tassie's team. And that's why then, you know, so all of a sudden when you get, when they're the two worst teams in the comp, yeah, of course the interest isn't going to be as high as when Hawthorne was playing well. So I I truly believe that if Tassie had its team, I believe that they'd be getting a really strong crowd week in, week out.
0: And there's no reason they shouldn't have either. The whole commercial argument I think is dodgy as, you know, really. Yeah, and, well, and, you know, look, again, no no disrespect to Western Sydney and GWS. They're doing everything they can. But that is a that is a 30, 40-year mission, whereas Tassie and the Northern Western Territory Sydney's did Western Sydney's AFL heart, What
2: are you talking about? Oh, well,
0: <laughs> Tassie and Northern Territory culturally had that thing right. there to work with. I, I just think they've done it the wrong way around. I really do. Mm.
1: yes fair enough uh good episode today guys we are running a bit late so we'll, we'll wrap things up there make sure you get your tips in uh thursday night footy's back soon so everyone just be aware because yeah well we, we might talk about that in the next episode uh but get your tips in uh early um because you know god knows it'll catch you out like it's caught me out in the past uh make sure you like and subscribe uh, as well wherever you get your podcasts uh tell your mates um guys roco thanks for joining us again
0: Pleasure, guys.
1: And uh, Jake and Christian, I'll speak to you next week. And everyone at home, we'll see you in the next one.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.